You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. or Harry Potter, <laughs> that, that means that I'll be uh, beginning on my robe, then putting a lightning scar on my hand, running around with a little wooden wand I've got and saying, I saw me swear, but I am up to no good all day long, which is pretty much just like every other single day around here, but we're going to be talking about Halloween and scary things and ghosts as well and what Christians should know about ghosts and say about ghosts. And my guest for this is the author of Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes, Mark Suniman. I hope I got that name right. Yep. Good. Now, uh, if you haven't heard of him, here's who he is. He graduated in 1979 from Appalachian State University with a B.A. in philosophy and a minor in religion. Then went directly to graduate school or seminary at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis as well as Erskine, where he graduated, three years Master of Divinity degree. He debated on whether to get a Ph.D. in philosophy and teach, but thought the Lord was calling him to a pastoral ministry. He was ordained in 1985 in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church and was an associate pastor for four years in his hometown of Greensboro, North Carolina. He then started a church plant and was a pastor for ten years. He now focuses on writing and educating people on the explosive growth of the occult worldview, which has now displaced secularism as the main threat of Christianity. And he's worked with people who are oppressed because their homes are demonically infested. Well, Mark, uh, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Thank you very much, Nick. It's a wonderful privilege to be with you. Mm -hmm. Now, if my audience hasn't heard much about you, uh, could you tell us a little bit beyond the academic about how you got to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, sure. I'm the seventh of ten children, a little personal there, and I've all, I'm a native of North Carolina, so I stay pretty close to my roots. Um, you know, after being ordained in 85, I was always, as a Bible-believing Christian and then preacher, always believed in spiritual warfare, but after going through a traumatic event, um, back in 2000, I was out meditating late one night and in a field, and there I saw in front of me very clearly, because it was um, full moon, I saw what people call a, a shadow person. I prefer to call it a shadow figure. Um, decked out in Revolutionary War garb because right in that area is where an important Revolutionary War was uh, battle was fought, the Battle of Guilford Courthouse. 
Anyway, long story short, for about 20 seconds or so, I stared at it. It stared at me. It was a good six feet tall. It was a solid black humanoid-shaped object that was standing on the path in front of me about 30 feet away. I got the distinct impression it didn't like me, didn't want me there. I started praying. I started walking right at it, and it just floated off into the woods. Now, this was 2000. Uh, obviously, it made an impact on me, but I was busy and uh, with my three young kids then. Um, and uh, when I was dealing with the cardiac issues, in 2009, I was watching more TV than usual, and again, make a long story short, I I just noticed Nick that just the sheer quantity of shows that were devoted to occultic things, whether it be vampires, ghost hunting, celebrity ghost stories, um, you know. All the, uh, that, that sort of thing, and I almost, I almost fell out of my, off my couch because I, some of the stuff I realized was real demonic activity that was being shown on TV. And I felt the Lord, I don't usually use this phrase often, but I really felt the Lord calling me to write a book because I was really passionate about trying to fully understand what the, this claim that ghosts were around us. And so I, using reason, logic, science, and a biblical worldview, I, I wrote a book um, analyzing whether or not ghosts exist and what are they really, and came to the uh, determined conclusion that they are very clearly demonic and once people die they either I mean God as absolutely sovereign maker creator and judge of heaven and earth um, we either go instantly to heaven or hell and there's no earthbound spirits just hanging around doing their own thing so it's my passion to do two things educate the body of Christ about how explosive this growth in the occultic worldview has become in general, and in particular, the belief in ghosts and how dangerous just the, the sheer belief is. And then secondly, I felt called, at least for a while, um, I don't do it as much now, help people whose homes actually have been infested uh, by unclean spirits or demons. And it's it's a passion of mine, Nick. And I uh, I write uh, a weekly blog on it. I've written about 200 of them now. So it's on about every aspect of the paranormal that you can imagine from a biblical worldview. Well, we'll find out more about that later. But just at the start, could you tell us the name of the blog for people who are listening and wondering? It's the same as my book, uh, Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes. Okay. Now, Mark, today also is Halloween Day, so let's kind of start out there. This is something that people are wondering about, because there are a lot of Christians out there in the church who will say, 
You should have absolutely nothing to do with Halloween. You should not participate. You should not put on a costume. You should not give out candy. Nothing like that. And there are some Christians who are saying, well, you know, I I don't I don't want to do anything you know satanic or anything. All I think I'm doing is just putting on a costume and getting some candy. I mean, am I really doing something wrong? And it, it becomes a real issue that a lot of Christians struggle with because they want to do the right thing, but they also fear the sort of legalism they could fall into. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on this? Well, Nick, you stated that well. I think it falls under the Paul's discussion in Romans 14 and 15 uh, about the adiaphora, mm-hmm. um, the things that Scripture is not clear about. Um, and depending upon if a person really has a sense that they that this day is something that if they celebrate it that is going to defile their conscience then by all means avoid it and I do think it's a cool cool idea for churches to have alternatives to it mm-hmm. you know like uh, Reformation or holiday but anyway I agree with you that um, I, I don't share the more um, outspoken um concern or objection to, you know, simply going out and letting our children and grandchildren have a little fun fun time mm-hmm. um, and dressing up uh, and having a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's between, it's one of those things where I, I personally think that it's between the person and God. Yeah. I can say about chances are where we live around here, we don't really get many trick-or-treaters. I mean, we've lived here for a few years, and I don't think we've seen one trick-or-treater come by on Halloween, but we always get candy just in case, which means I'm going to be left with a dilemma that (laughs) Halloween could come and go, and we're going to have all this candy here, and I'm not sure what we can do with it. I mean, Mark, do you have any ideas to help me with that dilemma? Yeah, um, uh, just... (laughs) Face yourself, brother. If I could just interject something uh, for people who do have a concern about it, I do know that it, it is considered by folks who are Wiccans and other types of witches to be a sacred day, uh, and that there, there, there could be accelerated demonic activity on this day. I, I don't have an inside line into that, into the you know, the invisible realm or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it seems that folks that have a history of immersion in the occult and and a really sensational deliverance from um, demonic oppression or even possession, and I have friends uh, who both, it seems that most of them are are really anti celebration of, of Halloween. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, there's a word of caution, but like you, um, I just think it's, it's between the person and God. But you know, enjoy your candy, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I remember being something that came out from uh, reclaiming the mind. Yeah. When they. The writer talked about being in seminary and 
or Bible college and have a professor get after me and say, you're going to tell me that little children are going to come to your house tonight and you're going to have the lights turned off when little children are coming? You're not going to do anything to welcome them? I mean, isn't there something about, you know, welcoming the little children such and such? And by the way, don't give them out gospel tracts. They won't want anything to do with you. You give out the best candy on the block. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Now, when it comes to this kind of day also, when we uh, hear about the occult and such, a lot of people, they hear a story about something that's really outside of their experience. Because secularism is still such a strong worldview out yeah. there. They are tended to write it off. Like, okay, this is automatically crazy. This is something that we shouldn't hear me. Do you do you encounter that skepticism? Do you understand it? Or are you talking about just the anti-supernaturalism? Is yeah, that if that's the term that? you'd prefer to use, I I tend to not use the term supernatural. I don't really go for a natural or supernatural distinction that a lot of people go with today. But the idea of anything anti-paranormal, let's say. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it. it you know, when I mentioned, and you mentioned in my introduction that that uh, it was my belief that um, the occult had displaced um, secularism, that what I, I did not mean to imply that it was not alive and well and kicking. It's, it's still oh, yeah. in many, in many, particularly in academia, um, it's mm-hmm. the by far you know this as well or better than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, secularism is the uh, the predominant worldview, mm-hmm. but in pop culture, Nick, you know that's where we hear people saying, um, I'm, "I'm I'm not religious, but I'm I'm spiritual," mm-hmm. and that means different things for different people. But I have found that for most people, it's an expression of a. Um, I mean, everybody everybody is made an image of God, so what that usually means is that they've given up on Christianity. But as they're still made in God's image, they still have a longing for for spiritual reality. And so our culture, though, is rejecting the biblical God more and more. It's embracing a, another spirituality, which is seriously deformed and unbiblical and occultic in nature. So you have these two influences. One of them is anti uh, paranormal, uh, while on the other hand, the, the fascination of the paranormal is exploding on a popular level. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it's the devil never gives us the luxury of just one front to fight against. You know, I, I can't but think about how C.S. Lewis. I think he said, "Must start with screw tape letters." That he said a demon would be just as happy with a materialist as he would as a magician. And you talk uh, about yeah. you talk about how some people who come out of the occult are very, very much afraid of anything it seems as anything whatsoever to do with Halloween or anything like that. Mm. And it reminds me again about how C. S. Lewis there said that, you know, there are two mistakes we can make with the demonic worldview. We can either say, A, it doesn't exist, that's the first mistake or the yeah. second mistake, we can see it every single place that we could possibly think to see it. Exactly. And, and I mean, Allie For, and I... Forgetting, were, that, um, forgetting that 
probably more often than not it's indwelling sin that um, is probably our, our biggest opponent um, or what the Bible calls the flesh. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. It's okay. Ari and I were even watching something uh, maybe a couple of weeks or so ago. It was from the Prophecy Club, which I don't really <laughs> take seriously. And I, I'm guessing you don't either based on your laughter. And uh, yeah. They had an ex-Satanist coming on there talking about how everything out there was demonic and involved in a satanic conspiracy to control your children. And then he brought up Pokemon, which <laughs> yeah, which my wife really enjoyed growing up. I enjoyed it growing up. And he said, "This is this symbol here is meant to get. It's meant is a really satanic symbol." I said, "No, that's a tadpole. That's what it, what it really <laughs> looks like." <laughs> I, and was that? And look, this is connected with Dungeons and Dragons now. So I said, I wonder how shocked he'd be if he realized the creator of D&D was actually a Christian. Oh, yeah, and... I mean, My grandson is uh, big into Pokemon. In fact, he came home to see us. I pick him up every day, and he said, Hey, Grandpa! He, I, and he showed me a Pokemon card that uh, he had just gotten. I said, Hey, man, that's really cool. So, yeah, that's pretty ludicrous. Yeah, I, I'm a big advocate of many things that are fantasy and such, and you know, I've just I've grown I up think of all Christians, uh, of all of all people, Christians should let their imaginations soar yep. stars, because yep. we're the only ones who have a solid intellectual basis for a firm foundation and not losing mm-hmm. our way mm-hmm. in reality while using our imagination. Um, not not only. In addition to the, that fact that God is the creator and us mm-hmm. in his image, he delights in, in in our creativity and imagination. And so, you know, poetic uh, license and writing, so other stuff. Yeah. I, I've told Alice that, you know, when you look at the whole role-playing genre today, which is really, really popular, and I understand because I really love role-playing games, so I said it wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the Christian writer J.R.R. Tolkien when he started The Lord of the Rings and now pretty much every single fantasy game out there owes something to The Lord of the Rings. Oh, that's interesting. Now, when you talked also about when you see people who are spiritual but not religious, when we've uh, watched TV over here and they'll come on a commercial or something like, oh, say, Match.com or Christian Mingo or something like that, I would say, did you try that site before you met me? Yes. Did you try that one? Yes. Did you try that one? Yes. And pretty <laughs> much any site I had tried. And so many times when you're figuring out the things about how you describe yourself and how you describe the person you want to be with, spiritual but not religious was something that came up so often. Oh. Every time I saw about this, this really does not make sense to me. And usually I find it pretty much it's it becomes kind of like a smorgasbord of religion and lo and behold the God you come out with when you're done doing that kind of thing he pretty much believes everything you believe already yeah it can it can it, it can be an expression of syncretism yeah. um, or like you said it it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people so some people the uh, best case scenario when they use that term Nick is, is that they 
they really love the Lord and they don't want to be seen as uh, as legalistic people. You know, religion, religion and the the way that people see it as being legalistic, just a notion of dead, yeah. dead orthodoxy. That's the best way that people use it, but it normally goes beyond that from my experience. And by the way, I have used those dating sites myself and have seen it. And in addition, you know what I found, Nick, to be what seemed to me to be the number one desire of people in a mate was someone who laughed a lot and enjoyed life. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I want to enjoy life and I want to laugh a lot. But it just seemed like that was, like, that's a recipe for wasting your life. If Even on Christian, like, Christian Mingle, mm-hmm. it's like over and over and over again, that was the focus, was in, enjoying life. And, you know, forget that the world, that, you know, we're to fear God and that's the beginning of wisdom, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And that greatest commandment is to love him, you know, and, and a uh, mate. So, uh, of course, founding a group relationship usually does resort in an enjoyed life, and so now I couldn't help but think about how when Allie and I were dating, and after we got engaged, we were living in different cities, different states. Even it took me four hours to get to go to see her, and vice versa. And we'd call each other every night. We could stay up till midnight, one a.m. or such on the phone, just mm. talking. An That's hour beautiful. or two hours, things like that. And if you asked me what we talked about in all those t- conversations, I would say I have no clue whatsoever what we talked <laughs> about, but we had them. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Now, when we're talking about ghosts and such, the foundation you start off with, it doesn't surprise me too much, is starting off with a worldview. Now, I'll, t- I'll tell the audience this thing that earlier this year, I think it was back in February, we had my friend Tarwa Anderson come on, who get, gave a whole talk about worldviews, but we need to have a basic synopsis now, because I doubt, I doubt people want to pause this show right now and go listen to another two-hour show, so tell us, what exactly <clears throat> do you mean by a worldview? It could be a new term to some people. Okay. Uh, simply, a worldview is a basic set of beliefs um, that each of us hold consciously or unconsciously about the nature of God, ourselves, and our relationship to God. It includes other things as well, but the, the fundamental of, fundamentals of a worldview would be what is our understanding of ultimate reality is there an infinite personal God, like the Trinity there, or is it is is there a universe where matter is eternal and energy with a capital E is um, or you know um, the ultimate reality that's that's there and you know that it's really this uh, a worldview is are the the spectacles again consciously or unconsciously that we view the world through and it affects what we think 
um, how we feel mm-hmm. and how we behave. Mm-hmm. And um, it, you know, it includes other things like what are the what's the criteria? If you think about it for a second, um, the nature of epistemology, which is just simply how do we know what we know, and, for, and when you apply that to ethics, right or wrong, what do you or I? What's our final court of appeal, court of appeal, or criterion that we appeal to to say this is the foundation for why I know X and Y is wrong, and why A and B is right? Mm-hmm. Now, for us, it would be the unchanging character of God and His, as expressed through His unchanging His Word, uh, revelation revealed to us. That's how we know. For other people, it basically boils down to speculation, and you know how they feel determines what is right and wrong. So anyway, a worldview is 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 how we how we see. Um, it, it, it deals with the, the basic issues of um, going all the way down to what is the purpose of life, what happens after death. Um, where is history going, and most importantly, what is God like, and what is the nature of mankind or humanity, anthropology? These are questions that form uh, a person's worldview, and they a person's worldview is usually formed, again, unconsciously over a period of time by just what they read, the TV shows they watch, and et cetera, by pop culture that that helps to shape their understanding of reality, mm-hmm. and this this forms a grid through which we see all the data that comes to us. So it, it actually our worldview actually shapes uh, everything that we see. So we we got you know if you have fuzzy glasses because they're dirty. You, you're not going to see um, that tree very clearly, but if you wipe it off, you're going to see reality clearly. And a biblical worldview, because it's true, means it corresponds to reality, and therefore we'll be able to see through God's eyes, in, in a sense, not exhaustively, but we'll see reality truly. One of the first major introductions I think I had to worldview thinking was listening to the late philosopher Dr. Ron Nash on his oh, wow. lecture. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to listen to them, everyone here can. It's absolutely free. It's at the website biblicaltraining.org. And Ron Nash has a whole series there. I don't agree with all his philosophy. I'm much more of a Thomist. He's much more of a Platonist. But the the idea of worldview thinking is is just excellent. It's so foundational. Yeah, he's top notch thinker. Mm-hmm. Now, when you start talking about how uh, so many people they Christians tend to go to the Bible as their foundation, but for a lot of people it's their feelings and everything else. The sad reality is for a lot of Christians that's still the case. And I understand yeah. why you said you were hesitant to say you felt God calling you because a lot of Christians feel God's telling them to do some 
pretty wrong stuff, some stuff they have no basis to do, and you can tell them what the Bible says about something and be interpreting it rightly and such, and say, yeah, but this is how I feel. Yeah. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. (laughs) We had some uh, Jehovah's Witnesses once when I was, while we've been living here, and they came to see us regularly or some strange reason they stopped after a while. I I, I never figured that out. I'm I'm such a nice <laughs> guy. I I don't know why they didn't. You pinned under the wall, I guess, brother. They, they didn't want to be pinned under the wall anymore. <laughs> but but they they soon started catching themselves on something because they'd they'd bring up some sort of question, some sort of Bible verse and such, and we say and we say, okay, so how how do you feel about that? And I just stop saying, um, sad. Happy, <laughs> agitated, and then I kept saying, "I think what you mean to say is, what do you think about that passage?" And I mean, a lot of people think I'm nitpicky with this. I say, "No, I'm not." We need more and more, especially in the West, to differentiate between feeling and thinking. And yeah. I, I was quite thrilled when I heard N.T. Wright on an episode of Unbelievable saying the exact same thing when he said that people in the West confuse fear and think. And I, I see it showing up in literature all the time. And when you start doing this stuff, unfortunately Christians can wind up giving divine authority to their feelings. Mm. That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Now, according to what you're saying, then everyone out there has a worldview, Right. Absolutely, yes. And, in fact, I, I would encourage Christians out there, and I've told others before, is that if you want to live a good life, one of the best things you can do to live a good life is have good theology. And it mm-hmm. really makes such a huge difference. And you talked about reading, and say, yeah, watch the things that you read, and read good things. I mean, occasionally, you do have to read some bad things. I have to read books that I disagree with many times. But read the good things. And if you read the good things, and if you know what you think, then when stuff that disagrees comes along, you'll be ready to deal with it. Yeah, and, ask yourself this yeah. when after you watch a television show. Mm-hmm. What did this show either say explicitly or implicitly mm-hmm. about the nature of God the nature of man, about what happens after death, the uh, origin and nature of ethics, um, where history is going, what happens after death, if I didn't mm-hmm. say it again, and be able to, th- to, to train ourselves to, to when we're watching a TV program or a movie or reading a book, to do it on two levels, as Francis Schaeffer said. Mm-hmm. Um, on one level, just as a human being, enjoying it and just simply enjoying it. But on the other hand, never totally suspending your discernment and being able to look and hear what's being said and through a biblical worldview, and and again, being able to spot and discern when things are being said that either explicitly or imply something that is either in consistent with Scripture or against Scripture, because we can become affected. I mean, mm-hmm. None of us are above being affected by 
the world that's around us, and that's why we have to always be on guard. And the first part of my book doesn't have anything to do with ghosts directly. It just teaches how mm-hmm. what a worldview is and how to think with one. Mm-hmm. And um, that's crucial yeah, in I, leading a life that's pleasing to God. I like how you said also just enjoy it for what it is because I think a lot of us could be tempted to get legalistic again and say I'm only going to enjoy something that comes from an explicitly Christian source and such and yeah. we got we got the Star Wars movie getting ready to come out or it might have already come out for I know what thousand little I know about but I, I do know a lot of good Christians who really love the series I know a lot of good Christians who really love the Star Trek series and both of them do come from non-Christian worldviews, but these people are grounded enough to know that, you know, I just enjoy the entertainment, I enjoy the story, Yeah. I don't believe a worldview, and that's fine. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. You know, when <clears throat> we're also talking about the reading, huh. that's one aspect I like to tell people about is, like, when, because I've spent so many years reading, when I reach a crisis and I'm not sure what to do, if you're not well read, all you've pretty much got going in your head at that point are your thoughts. And maybe things you've seen from TV shows and movies and things of that sort. When I get in a crisis, I can think about what the Bible says. If I can't think of anything explicit, maybe I can think of something like, say, what a C.S. Lewis says, or what N.T. Wright says, or what G.K. Chesterton says, or Aristotle, or Thomas Aquinas, or anyone else out there. There are several people who have their thoughts swimming in my head right now, and I can call on them at any time and see what they have to say. Hmm. That's an interesting way to put it. Uh, I agree 100%. We, um, it's uh, what uh, it was Plato who said that the unexamined life is not worth living, or Socrates. Um, I think it was Socrates, and, but. Yeah. And. Reading is, um, mm-hmm. kind of, I just find it to be such a deep pleasure. Yep. And uh, uh, there's so many good books, old and new, that are out there. Mm-hmm. So. And if you're like me out there and you have a Kindle, you would be amazed how many books, good books, you can get for absolutely free. Mm. on the Kindle and I, I subscribe to many lists where I can see free or discount books coming out whenever they come out and my friend Greg West at the Poached Egg he puts together a list every now and then of Kindle ap- apologetics books that are cheap usually three bucks or less you can get some really good wow. books that way if you have a Kindle and it, if you don't wear a I'm very sorry to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Post egg, huh? I need to get that from you um, later on. Get the link from you. Now, when we're talking about worldviews also, even within each worldview, there are several different degrees and aspects of that worldview. Still, I mean, there isn't just one the Christian worldview because you got different denominations and even in denominations you'll still find some differences I mean, there are some things all Christians agree on but there are many secondary details they disagree on greatly oh yeah that's true but that's why um, the seven components of a biblical worldview that I chose and I, I had 
James Sire had wrote a, wrote a book when I was in college called The Universe Next Door, mm-hmm. and he had done some groundbreaking work in the area of thinking worldviewishly, mm-hmm. particularly from a Christian uh, worldview, and the components, the six or seven components that he lists, and I, I added one to it, um, are ones that Christians, all biblical Christians should agree on because they're so basic, like the nature of God um, and that type of thing. But certainly I agree with you as far as denominations, there's differences. But at least the way, Nick, I understand a worldview, it, it, the, the questions are so fundamental. Like, for example, one of my questions of a worldview was what is the purpose of life and Jesus stated very clearly that the greatest commandment is to love him with all of our being mm-hmm. so to, to me that's not negotiable or or anything but now yeah. if anyone's interested by the way since you mentioned James Sire back on October 4th 2014 we did interview him here on the Deeper Waters podcast a two hour interview Really? Three of his books, yes, and his life in apologetics. So if anyone's interested, go back and listen to the October oh. 4th, 2014 show with James Sire there. God, Nick, that's, that's fantastic. Gosh, yeah, I'll have to listen to that. Now, let's uh, start getting into the whole deal of ghosts. Now, I'd like you all to picture you're watching Animal Planet, for instance, and for some reason... <laughs> They have a show there called Ghost Adventures, I think. What the heck that has to do with animals, I have not yet figured out. But you'll see these guys go into this building, and they'll have all this ghost equipment and such, trying to pick up all these readings, and this this sounds shock when they hear voices supposedly speaking, which a lot, I'm looking at all this, yeah, I think a lot of this is just faked in many ways and such. I'm really skeptical of Wesley, and back when Ali and I watched it, we just laughed. I mean, it's just, yeah, really, come on. But this kind of stuff is out there, or maybe you're into entertainment and you're watching The Ghost Whisperer instead and seeing all these things about guiding people to the other side. I mean, what's going on in each of these cases? Well, you made a good point there because there's such a a wide variety of ghost-related shows that one that would not appeal to one person would really appeal to another. Like Ghost Adventures might appeal to this crowd, but um, the gal who played um, in The Ghost Whisperer, they, they would be drawn to that type of type of show uh, which was you know more of a um yeah that was like more of entertainment um explicit entertainment mm-hmm. and whereas with ghost ghost hunters the ghost adventurers ghost asylum and i mean there's just you the list go on and on there are now pro- approximately 4500 paranormal investigative groups that are listed with paranormalsocieties.com mm-hmm. um, and when I first started out in 2009 
there was about 600. Mm -hmm. So there's really been an explosion of that. Now, what's going on is that some of it is choreographed, but some of it, when you, some of it is actually, um, I know what to look for now because I've been through the block after, as far as being in houses that were actually demonically infested and know what uh, and how demons can and do appear. And, for example, they often appear as shadow figures, uh, like, like they did when I had my first encounter. But that's... That, that's the time the type of thing those shows that are again consciously or unconsciously that people perhaps if they're sitting on a fence with with regards to whether or not they believe in ghosts over a period of time of watching those and they see this supernatural what appears to them as supernatural activity and some of it is Nick it really is some of it is truly supernatural activity, and I would argue that it's demonic. In fact, I would say this to all my listeners, that any, almost all, true paranormal activity is demonic in nature because, yes, angels are real. There's only two... There's only two... Um, Sides. There's only two... two uh, well, no, no, Two entities that populate the uh, supernatural paranormal realm, and that's angels and that's demons. Mm -hmm. And the scripture is clear on that. And I and I would be very um, strong and firm in my stance on that because mm -hmm. I read just today from a Christian horror writer that the Bible wasn't clear on whether or not ghosts exist, and and uh, the Bible is exceedingly clear. Um, now, the author did go on to say that it's clear that we shouldn't try to talk to them, but it's also very clear who populates mm -hmm. the, the paranormal realm. Mm -hmm. And so I've had the, I've had personal experience and, and with helping dozens of people, and uh, this there can be some horrendous activity that's happening, and I am of the opinion that because of, this fascination, it's like a vicious circle, the cycle, that the, the more our culture gets fascinated with the paranormal, then the more it opens up our culture to, to spiritual darkness. There are gradations to sin. Some are more serious. Deuteronomy 18, lit, all of those are occultic sins. Deuteronomy 18, which was the purpose for why we... The, uh, our forefathers went in and took over and fought and uh, the, the Canaanites, and you know all those things like psychics, mediums, necromancy—just means speaking to the dead. Um, uh, those type things are exploding in our culture, and when you do that. You know, we we think usually of over demonic activity being in the jungles of of Africa, mm. but really, sadly, and it breaks my heart. But this is one area where I do know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. We don't have to go to Ghana now. Yeah. We don't have to go to Senegal. In America, mm -hmm. over 
demonic activity is exploding mm -hmm. because millions of people, after watching these shows and reading books and so forth, are 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 becoming fascinated with the forbidden mm -hmm. and they're starting to talk trying to start talk to the dead and leading that charge is are these paranormal investigators and um, I, I, I'm sorry for, for running on I, I'd like to address what these um, paranormal investigators do that's so bad but um, maybe you want to interject something first yeah what I'm saying is when we talk about investigating we don't mean things like checking out claims and such everyone should do that and as someone who is in apologetics I do have my fair share of skepticism when it comes to claims that people give because you want to make sure that you're passing on true claims if someone says where this happened and my explanation is something that I want to say okay can I rule out any other explanation is this the best explanation and yeah so, so I mean I try and be careful and I'm thinking that when Ari and I went on our honeymoon we went to Ocean Isle Beach together beautiful spot by the way oh that's in North Carolina yes it is I, I, we were living in North Carolina at the time and I'd been hmm. some when I was in seminary we had some friends and I had some friends every now and then we went to the beach together and one of our suggested Ocean Isle Beach and it's this beach it's on Little Island and you drive over mm -hmm. a bridge and you get there and the first time Oak I drove, Island I believe yep the first time I drove over I thought whenever I get married this would be a great place for a honeymoon Mm. And that's uh, exactly where we went. And so one time while we were there, we went to a museum together. I was there, and they said they were, "Hey, we've got a ghost walk event going on. We go and talk about yeah. events here in the area and how they've been supposedly connected with ghosts and such. And it's free. Would you all like to go?" Wow! Like, sure. Why not? And so they start off with showing us a photo of an an old window in. You look through, and you're supposed to see some ghosts that were taken, that were caught in, on, on film, looking back out at you. And so Allie and I went up, and we looked at this picture together. I'm standing right next to her, and I just lean over, and I whisper, and like, looks to me like they could just use some more Windex here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was it. I mean, and when we started uh, walking through, and they started talking about the ghost stories in the area and such, it, it's pretty much a joke for us today that we laugh about especially when we talk about either the gray man or I think our favorite one was the kindred spirit of a mailbox and oh. yeah and I think I've probably caught on that we were skeptics of all this and I said look you know these stories are interesting but I'm going to need something more before I say okay there is something indeed going on here and I think they understood my skepticism that I mean I, I don't doubt that a lot of things are going on ghost adventures and such they're probably made up but there could be some weird things going on but when if you're talking about just a ghost adventure what's usually going on when we're watching this I mean what how I mean not just responding but just if you were describing the show to someone what would you say goes on well, the, the very the, the the things that they do would actually open up doors to the demonic, um, which is why paranormal investigations actually make the situation worse for the people who are calling them in, 
And I can tell you from experience, Nick, that there are there are many, many, many people in America who are desperately terrified because of what's happening in their home. Um, it is true. Um, there's different levels of demonic activity. There's infestation. Um, there's oppression. There's obsession, and there's possession. But the Different groups have different levels of sincerity. There are different levels of choreographing. Um, The ghost adventurers do have Aaron as the one who does their own um, filming. Now they have other people who have come in since they've taken on a bigger crew. But what they do... Um, is that the people will call them in because they're saying that they they are having this activity, which normally is, is includes some kind. Well, it's, it's got to the point when they ask these shows, it's, it's got to the point where there's oppression going on, whether it's physical, emotional, or, or, or relational. Uh, people are being scratched. Uh, they hear footsteps. Uh, bangs on the walls, things are moving around, cold spots, seeing shadow figures, these kind of uh, anomalies. Now, what they do when they go in is they'll use EMF, electromagnetic, um, trying to determine whether or not there's any anomalies with uh, electrical fields, because at least the idea is that... uh, the spirits a ghost gives off energy. I won't get off on that, but the thing that bothers me the most really are the attempts to communicate with the ghosts. Uh, for example, an EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, that's really, in essence, no different than using a um, Ouija board because both of them, a Ouija board and uh, when electronic voice phenomenon is is then that's the backbone. If you want to know what the backbone of paranormal investigation is, is is the EVP. That's when they go in. You know, usually with a digital recorder, or they have other means as well to try to communicate with the quote ghosts. There, they may ask the ghost to turn or turn off a. Uh, uh, flashlight, but mostly they'll have a digital recorder and they'll ask questions. And I've heard tons and tons of evidence that was to me that was believable. Uh, some of it's made up, mm-hmm. but the um, the when you start talking and addressing the spirit realm, which mm-hmm. we're told in scripture. We're told in Scripture, Nick, mm-hmm. that, this, that this, the spirit realm, the invisible realm, the paranormal realm, supernatural realm, whatever you want to call it, God's sovereign of it, yes, but we're told that Satan is, a temp, is under God's sovereignty, he's the God of this world. And meaning that the paranormal realm, as we call it, is actually God's sovereignly ordained temporary home for Satan and his minions. So when you attempt to contact the spirit realm, you are jumping right into Satan's sandbox. 
mm-hmm. where God placed them. And that puts people at horrendous risk. And the thing that saddens me is that by the time they go through all their shenanigans of trying to take pictures and they got all these laser lights and so forth trying to, to trying to capture these anomalies that I've talked about, especially things like shadow figures, which are so common in, in infestation situations, they'll... They'll bring it, and then they'll have what's called the re- reveal at the end of the show. They'll show the the resident, the owners of the house, what's going on, and they'll almost always tell the people there. Uh, and this this saddens and both angers me um, that they'll almost always tell the residents, no matter how much evidence that they, I mean, true evidence they may have. They will tell the residents that, hey, look, you know, you own this house, and these things are benign. You know, they may have been kind of, they may have scratched you or something, but they're just trying to get your attention and, you know, just just try to coexist with them or tell them to go away if you don't want want them there. But what they're doing, bottom line, Nick, is they're giving the people there a false sense of security, that they're supposedly living with Grandma who, who died five years ago or Uncle Joe or some girl that died 300 years ago. Now, demons are smart, man. They, they were alive 300 years ago when that girl died and drowned. And they know all the historical data. And so when the, when the paranormal investigators do all their, um, go into their the, the local library and so forth and, and dig up all the history and, and whatever pictures they can find, and they say, hey, man, that apparition looks just like that picture that was taken 100 years ago. It's got to be the little girl. We don't, they don't realize that the scripture talks about in Second Corinthians eleven fourteen that what I call the angel light principle that not that if, if if Satan who is the prince of darkness can appear like Jesus Christ himself or, or the brightest of angels it'd be a snap for him or his minions to appear as a little girl. And over and over again, and even some paranormal investigators are finally catching on to this that it's it's a real it's it's a real common trick for the demonic to use an apparition of a little girl or boy that you, that you know will catch your heartstrings and fool you and deceive you uh, or the residents of the house, and this is this is happening with frightening increasing frequency across our land because we are this fascination with the paranormal is exploding the more we become fascinated with paranormal then the more we are sinning against God and opening those doors you know it talks in about in Ephesians about you know, if you let your, the sun go down on your anger, you're giving the devil a foothold. Now, Nick, I don't know what all exactly what that means in the Greek or the English, but I don't like it. <laughs> Whatever that means, 
And so when we particularly, and Scripture does teach, as I said, gradations of sin. I mean, all of them are cosmic treason. But those sins, necromancy and mediumship and so forth, and by the way, that thing that was on last night, that atrocious thing, the live exorcism, that was a that was a prime example of of Christians syncretism pulling together Christianity and the and the worst of the occult that you can imagine. I mean they had they had a quote Christian bishop Nick who was supposedly cleansing the house where the the exorcist was based on in Saint Louis. Um and during the exorcism, and it wasn't an you couldn't even call it exorcism because to have an exorcism you have to have a person. It's better call you should call it a cleansing or, or whatever, but that's another point. But right in the middle of it, Nick, this this uh I can't say it, I won't say his name, but this quote bishop from an old Catholic the old Catholic denomination looked to his attendant who is who is a medium, psychic medium, and asked for his advice as to whether or not who was still there. And the medium can you imagine this? A psychic mm-hmm. I, 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 and so the the psychic who claims to be a Christian, who's very religious and everything, holding a cross. You know, a big cross, a staff, said, uh, the benign spirits are telling me that the demons don't like page 22. Go ahead and read from page 22 again. And so you have this horribly absurd picture of uh, of frontline spiritual warfare, which is extremely holy against the unholy and this man looking to a psychic medium which scripture absolutely condemns in the strongest language in Deuteronomy 18, Leviticus 19 and 20 and it just breaks my heart because what these people do I'll say this and shut up is that my I, I know that the vast majority of paranormal investigators, the people that go in and do all this stuff I'm talking about, themselves have issues with a demonic in their home. They've given the devil a foothold, as Ephesians says. Um, that is, they bring the darkness back home with them uh, because of the nature of, of what they have done. And it saddens me because the demonic, as the gospel show, can cause physical illness, even death. Uh, it can cause certainly friction in relationships. And um, many, we are selfish, all of us, but when you throw into the mix an accelerated high octane, <laughs> For a lot, lack of a better word, presence of the demonic causing friction in a marriage, and 
as James I read yesterday in my quiet time, the the tongue that set on hell, fire by hell, you know, mm-hmm. that husbands and wives, you know, instead of encouraging each other, belittling each other and that sort of thing, um, I don't know, there's all just all kinds of effects that can be um, that happened because of, of, of these paranormal investigations, and it's just it's just growing. There's so there's no sign, Nick, of the this fascination with paranormal investigations. Um, there's no sign of it of, of it of it waning because, and I'll tell you why it's not. It's because people if something is extremely electric. When someone is looking at, at the TV, they're made in God's image. They're longing for spiritual reality. We can't see God, and, and that's both a blessing and a curse. Um, you know, because if we saw him, we would we would die instantly. So imagine this as a person who's given up on the biblical God and the church. They're watching this some paranormal show, and they see what may at least seems to be supernatural activity, okay? And that there's a really electric connection, and and all the synapses are firing, and it's saying, wow, that is real supernatural paranormal reality. Um, that's something I want to latch on to. That's proof of life after death and all this sort of stuff. And that's the tragic thing about it, Nick, is it, is it, is it, is there's, Ten reasons I could give you for why um, these shows are so attractive to people, and the notion of ghosts is is so attractive. In my opinion, that there's so many issues in our culture, like abortion, uh, you know, uh, human trafficking. There's so many key issues, but on a spiritual level, I'm convinced that <laughs> the occult worldview in general. And the belief in ghosts in particular is Satan's most effective and successful um, thing that he, he that he has going on right now as far as uh, darkening America. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast right now. I am Nick Peters. My guest is Mark Herneman. And But if you're listening, we're talking about his book, uh, Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes. But if you're listening next week, we're going to try, once again, we've tried before to have him on, and things have gone wrong. We're going to have have David Capes <coughs> come back on. He was on here um, some time ago, yeah, August 9th of 2014, talking about the translation of the Bible he worked on, The Voice. He's going to be talking about a, a book he's written called Slow to Judge. It's sort of a wisdom book out there, not on what, apart, not on giving a project answers, but how to do apologetics, mm. per se. So we'll, we'll be having him come back on again. You might remember some of his co-authors, uh, Rodney Reeves and Randy Richards, have been on here on October 10th and on August 29th about their books, Rediscovering Jesus and Rediscovering Paul. Well, now we're going to have a third one. Come on, so be listening next week. we talk about slow to judge. Now... When you're talking about Christians getting interested in this, I, I happen to notice this strange thing about Christians. I and mean, we just got done with a time with a whole lot of hysteria about blood moons going on. 
and then the whole uh, Harbinger thing with uh, Jonathan Cahn's prediction about what was going to happen to the economy, and I even heard someone calling in to a Christian show about money and saying, hey, I've heard someone say that the economy is going to do this in a few days. <laughs> Should I take it out? And no, no, please don't. And, please of don't. course, there was no national repentance on the part of anyone for misleading the church like this, but there was so much fascination with end-times hysteria going on in the church. There was so many much fascination that all of this is just a big cover-up, and there was all these conspiracy theories going on. And then there was so much fascination with accounts of demonic activity and things of that sort. I mean, every, I, mean I, I think some near-death experiences and such are legitimate, but there was, can sometimes be an unhealthy fascination in many cases, and I say, you know, it, it saddens me. Christians get so caught up in these kinds of questions, this kind of stuff that we can't really know about in many cases. But when it comes to something like, say, how do you know the Bible is the Word of God? How do you know God's a Trinity? What difference does it make? How do you know Jesus rose from the dead? And what difference does it make? Yeah. So many Christians seem absolutely clueless, but they go and they thrive on trying to learn all this stuff about things that they really don't need to be learning about. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they just find it, quote, fascinating. Mm -hmm. And to get back to what you said before, they look to their heart as to what fascinates them instead of when you read Proverbs and the emphasis on getting wisdom, mm -hmm. a dogged determination of a lifelong passionate pursuit of, of wisdom and instead of just following our whims and our passions um, as to what you know we're interested in instead of being prepared to give an honest answer and to solidify our own faith foundations. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Now, when you're talking about what these people do on these ghost shows and such, you talk about the EMFs, I think you said, that they use to try and determine something. You know, when I see that and I hear about that, and I'm coming as a skeptic, I'm thinking the problem I see with this approach is you really have no hard data whatsoever. I mean, there's no case where you can look and say, we experience a disturbance and we know this has to be a ghost because of this. It's like you're experiencing something. I mean, no one could deny that yeah, there's some, something going on with the electromagnetic field or whatever it is. But you're trying to claim that it's this kind of being. And then from there you go on and on. And to me it just becomes speculation built upon speculation because there's no real firm ground in this case, and if someone would say, well, some of you do the same with theism, I'd say, no, I've got a number of good, sound arguments for theism, but when it comes to ghosts, I don't have anything, right? It looks like I've just got speculation built on speculation. Well, I, I mean, you got a point there, Nick. Um, people, people can get hysterical, and you, you, you getting back to the quote from C.S. Lewis, gotta, gotta be balanced. I've got in my um the, I got in my have in my hand right now um the most recent issue of life mm -hmm. and 
It's entitled, The World's Most Haunted Places, Creepy, Ghostly, and Notorious Spots. Mm-hmm. Um, Dracula's Castle, Queen Mary, the Psycho House, the whole thing. Uh, how many pages is this? It's, um, I don't know, about 70 pages. The entire book is actually sympathetic to uh, the notion of haunting. It, it doesn't dismiss the hauntings. It, it surprised me as I read through it that they, it's actually a sympathetic view of, that these places are, um, at least some of them, haunted. And there are there are ways that um, the activity can become so overt that there is evidence. Um, if you hear if you hear the EVPs that people have collected, if you, well, certainly if someone has been scratched, and I have been scratched, I still have a scar on my shoulder where I was scratched claw three times about a year ago. Uh, uh, three claw marks is usually seen as a mockery of the Trinity. I've been attacked several times, um, and I've seen things that are empirically um verifiable. Uh, I've seen them. I believe in the basic reliability, the sense perceptions, what I've seen, heard, smelt, and so forth. So there is there is a fine line and, and a balance um, to be done. You, see, you have to realize, Nick, that where I'm coming from, because my life is devoted to delving into real demonic activity, and yours is, is more skeptical and apologetics but coming at the same issue from a different angle and that's 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 a good it's a good balance Mm -hmm. uh i would just say that 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 please believe me um and the listeners that that there is real overt Mm -hmm. as opposed to covert hidden um activity that is happening and it's increasing and I'm, you know, I'm talking about things like again, shadow figures, things that you can actually see, not you know, um, steps that footsteps that can be um, heard, knocks on walls, being punched, uh, thrown on the floor, uh, picked up. Um, you know, I, I mean, I I have seen, I've heard, and I've been involved in cases that uh, the empirical verifiability of it was unquestionable. And I mean, the pictures of things, the uh, all, all all the other stuff. I mean, the evidence of there is there that uh, what I'm trying to say, in my own stumbling way, that um, there is a that demonic activity is increasing in America, and no, we shouldn't see a demon behind every rock. Right. Our main concern is still my is my own indwelling sin, the world, the flesh, mm-hmm. and the devil. Mm-hmm. However, you know, like I said, there's a reason why we used to think of missionaries going to these outermost places in Africa as as a place where, yeah, yeah, you would see because of all the dark witchcraft and hundreds of years of it. Well, our own c- culture 
if you read, I have in my hands right now, Peter Jones, uh, New Testament professor at Westminster in California, his most recent book is called The Other Worldview, Exposing Christianity's Greatest Threat. R.C. Sproul wrote on the front, A must-read for every concerned Christian, especially for every Christian who weeps at the graveside of his culture. And there's many other people, Frame on there, and all other kinds of theologians and, and uh, apologists who uh, are, you know, uh, giving praise to this book. And basically he points out he point uh, what Peter Jones does, who, by the way, was a childhood friend of John Lennon of the Beatles. Hmm. Uh, but he 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 focuses on the you know the old phrase "Don't miss the forest for the trees." Well, Peter is pointing out the forest, the occult worldview that is from the mid '60s on up. Till today, and it has matured and spread its tentacles out more and more. You can call it neo-gnostic, occult, new, uh, mature new age. Um, he's focusing on on the the, um, the forest. And I I feel called to focus more on one of the biggest trees mm-hmm. in that forest, and and that's the notion of ghosts and paranormal activity, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, it's it saddened me. I got turned on to Francis Schaeffer. Uh, say this real quick. Uh, back in when I was saved at age 18, and one of the things he mentioned was that my parents' generation, which is known as the greatest generation, you know, my dad fought World War II, and they were a great generation. However, they like every generation, they they had their faults, and one of them is that they were blind, uh, with some wonderful exceptions. My parents' generation and my dad, my mom and dad being one of those ex- exceptions, um, my parents' generation was blind to the issue of, of, of race. Christians, they they should have did a much, 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 much better job in dealing with uh, segregation and so forth. And and it, I, I pled with God when I was an 18-year-old boy, a young man, Lord, please, if there's any issue that the body of Christ is blind to today, please open my eyes to it. And I truly believe, Nick, this is not the only issue. I, I, I admit that. There's a lot of them. But I really believe that one of the most, like I said, successful and uh, effective um, attacks that Satan has going on today is this fascination with the paranormal and but especially the explosion of the occult worldview mm-hmm. because that would that would include just thousands of things like energy healing astrology um, yeah, all those sorts of things mm-hmm. that yeah let's uh, get to the question of ghosts directing themselves because I mean, there's no doubt that many people out there, even skeptics and such, have had weird things happening that, you know, we just can't explain this. I mean, I live in a small town. I've heard stories like that around my own small town. So I think it'd be hard for us to deny that something's happening, and you're not denying something's happening, but you are very skeptical, and you don't think for a minute that this is something called ghost. Can you give us a brief start as to why that is? 
as to why I don't believe that uh, it's good there are ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did. I did a really thorough analysis of scripture, starting with the texts that people, including Christians who believe in ghosts, that they use to say, um, teach that the Bible at least implies uh, the existence of ghosts. And after a thorough study of it, and um, you have to realize that my my passion for all the years was was as as, as a theologian and philosophy, and I I didn't I didn't study paranormal for a long time, and I'm glad I didn't because I I just I've studied I've read the Bible maybe 40 times through just out of love for God. So it's trying to have a theocentric view of all of reality. And then God placed this specific um, foci in in place in front of me, the notion of ghosts. And this scripture is so clear, Nick, that Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man to die once and after that to face judgment. It couldn't be any more clear than, than, than that. And there are any number of other scriptures, too, that we could uh, discuss. But clearly, scripture teaches that God has made and is owns every human being. And, and, and when a person dies... Their and their their soul leaves their body. That's really the definition of death. And when that when we die and our soul leaves our body, scripture is clear that there is that there is a an appearance before the judge of heaven and earth. Then, and the person is immediately sent to heaven or hell. And then at the end times, Jesus will come back, and there will be a public, great white throne judgment, um, where it will be made known publicly to where everyone's eternal destiny is going to be. But the point is, is that at the like Hebrews nine twenty seven says, and and all all these other texts like Paul yearning to die and be with the Lord and uh, the thief on the cross and so forth um, there's just abundant evidence that when we die we we go to be with the Lord or we go to hell yeah I'd like to remind everyone of this spot a little bit early but you know we're going to be probably getting to to some more deep discussion soon, so I'm going to go ahead and go through this. You're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast, and everything we do here is listener-supported. Now, if you want to support us at this point, what you do is you go to deeperwaters.ddns.net. I'll tell you why I said at this point in a little bit, but once you're there, if you scroll down on the left, on the side there, there's a help support for work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries, 
And if you click there, you'll get taken to the ministry of risen Jesus. Have you gone to the right place? Yes, yes you have. That's my in-laws right there. You go there and you uh, make your donation. And if you can sign up to be a monthly donor or give out a range, we would definitely appreciate the monthly donors. But then you send a message to me or send a message to Debbie, my mother-in-law, Debbie Lacona. And you say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And they will make sure that we get it. And also until the end of the year, if you want to make a donation to Risen Jesus. See, what I said that this is where we're at in a little bit. Because right now we're considering the possibility of having Deeper Waters be a sort of sub-ministry of Risen Jesus soon. And so my stuff could get poured over to that site. You see, Mike and Debbie are wanting to expand their ministry and take me on full-time as their social media guy to make videos, answer questions, things of that sort. And to help with this, they've received an offer from their chairman of the board that until the end of the year, 2015, a matching $20,000 grant. So if you make a donation to Risen Jesus, it will be matched. So if you donate 50, you are essentially donating 100. So I'd really like you to encourage to keep that, be encouraged to keep that in mind. You know, if you keep going down our page, you can find a way to support us through Amazon by buying at our Amazon store, where you can hear books, buy books, I mean, that or talk about on the show. If you, uh, oh, and while you're on Amazon and you look around, you can find books that I've written or co-written, eBooks, and those can uh, be bought in. Some of the proceeds will go to help me out. Not too many, but still some. And I would really appreciate if you'd leave a good review of any book that you get that I write. And if you can go to the iTunes page of the show and leave a good review, I would really appreciate that. I'd love to see those good reviews. And then finally, you can buy jewelry to support us. And guys, I don't need to tell you here, really. This is a good way to get in good standing with the ladies in your life. Okay, I mean... Your wife, your girlfriend, your fiance, or maybe even your mother. These women enjoy jewelry a lot of times. So you go and you buy jewelry through Lena Cluster, our friend at Premier Jewelers, and you use the code of Deeper Waters. You contact me and you let her know that you contact her or you contact me and say, Hey, I bought this jewelry. I want some of it to go to you. Whatever you bought, 25% of what you buy will go to deeper waters. And that, that's a good deal. You get something special for your lady and you support a ministry as well. Now, Mark, do you have any uh, organization or charity you'd like to see people donate to? Um, I was thinking about that since you mentioned it to me. I, I don't have a donation for uh, set up for my own ministry. Um I have my own reasons and, and purposes for that, so uh, no, uh, no, that's fine. Send it to Nick. <laughs> you know, you're not the first one to say something like that on the show. I, I hope people aren't getting suspicious. I'm putting things up to my guests. No, I'm not. They they say this <laughs> willingly. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's go back to what we're talking about here with ghosts. One passage that people will bring up, and this is one one that really debated. People ask, what the heck was going on? Saul and the Witch of Endor. Go. <laughs> uh, go. 
Right, the Hebrew is is medium of Andor, but um, yeah, I've, I've looked at that text real closely, Nick, and the at um, in the stream of history and the the flow of redemptive history, at particularly important junctures of the flow of redemptive history, God intervenes in sensational ways, um, different ways, like with Abraham appearing to him um, 2000 B.C., Moses, the extraordinary things that happened with him, the flow, again, of redemptive history. Um, then you have Saul, the first king. Now, that's an important step in the flow of redemptive history with David following after him. And so you can expect something uh, significant, extraordinary, supernatural um, happenings happen with Abraham, Moses, now King Saul. And Saul, uh, you know, sadly started off well, but he he um, he got off the way. And uh, just to cap things off, prior to a battle that he knew was going to go badly consulted a, a medium and what we see in that text just to make this short is that as soon as the medium attempted uh, to contact her her spirit guide or whatever you want to call it our sovereign king stepped in and took over the medium of Endor knew immediately that she's out of the picture. Everything that's happening is being orchestrated by God. She becomes afraid. She's out of the picture. Okay, this mysterious picture of of um, Samuel, I believe it was Samuel. Samuel was with the Lord. People have different ideas of, of where the spirits of the righteous went in the Old Testament times. My belief is that they were with the Lord in heaven. But regardless of that, like in the New Testament with Elijah and Moses, of course, our souls, when we die, they go to be with the Lord. If God decides... If, if this particular juncture, important juncture, in judgment upon the first king of Israel, Saul, if, he want, if God in his sovereign wisdom wants to call up once this mysterious incident in which Saul rebu- excuse me, Samuel rebukes Saul and says, rebukes him, and then is keep in mind he says why you know why you why did you disturb my rest okay now in the new testament entering into god's rest is synonymous with heaven that's that's our, our rest the point that i want to the, there's no there's no question that that it's a, it's a um, oddball different weird text but one of the most basic Laws of hermeneutics or interpretation is is this, and that is that 
um, we have to realize that the historical narratives of Scripture um, are to be interpreted by the didactic, that is, teaching portions of Scripture, because oftentimes in the Old Testament there's a historical narrative w without any commentary on it. You see that in all, all, all kinds of, uh, of places where it's, it's clear history. The Book of Kings is more like that, whereas Chronicles is more t more theological in nature as far as giving commentary on what events took place. So what we have is we don't we don't have a an inspired really commentary on on this event that is. Uh, unfolded before us the, the narration of it um, but the one thing that's clear is that another key rule of hermeneutics Nick is, is that we do not we do not take a text that is admittedly um, out of the ordinary to put it mildly and then base and create a, a belief based on that text. That that would be um, in, that, that would not be prudent. So the idea is that when we come across narratives like that, we need to look look at it through the prism of clear teaching, didactic teachings, particularly in the New Testament. Looking back now. The point is, is that God, I don't see how that can be, even be used to support the notion of ghosts, because number one, he said he was at rest, you know, he was with the Lord, um, and then and number two, the, the, the whole idea of a ghost in the paranormal community's mind, Nick, is an earthbound spirit that is stuck here. Mm -hmm. Now... One thing that's really clear from the text is that Samuel was not stuck. Mm -hmm. He came here for a brief moment in God's sovereign, mysterious will to deliver at a crucial juncture of redemptive history a word to Saul. And then it was all over. Uh, God sent him. But the one thing is clear is he was not stuck here, and that's by definition what a, what a ghost is. So there's no way that somebody can take everything I just said, put together, uh, and that's the short version. You can't take that text to, quote, prove that the Bible teaches there's ghosts. It does teach that there are disembodied spirits. Right now in Revelation, um in several places it talks about the souls under under the altar asking you know god how long uh, and, and and so we we know that the glorifying in hebrews chapter 12 it talks about how we the the um perfected saints in heaven um uh, in hebrews 12 and so Right now, there are disembodied spirits in heaven and in hell, and but there's no disembodied spirits on earth, though. Mm -hmm. Okay, 
And that text, I, I hope I explained it clearly enough mm-hmm. that it can't be used to defend the notion of ghosts, particularly if if somebody is teachable and really wants to learn. And that's one of the things I found, Nick, when it comes to the notion of ghosts, people can be right ornery and, um, uh, let's see, have their mind made up, you know, and... and uh, not be very teachable, but when you see the, the the one basic fact that Samuel was not stuck here, and he was he was gone, you know the instant the you know that that episode was over, which God was in, he was the one who was sovereignly in control of the the medium, you know she was off in the corner, uh, and. Uh, so that, I mean, that's, that's what I would say. You know, when you talk about the spirit guide there, I can't but think that. I used to work with someone. Somehow in our day-to-day chats, we started about things we watched on TV regular. And one came up was that I used to sometimes watch the Montero show in the morning because that came on before Price is Right, and I'm a game show junkie. <laughs> and every now and then, he'd have Sylvia Brown come oh. on. And... It, we, we started just having so much of it. I said, you know, she never gives anyone any bad news whatsoever about what their person says. Oh, they're in a better place. They love you very much. I mean, it's never a case of, Sylvia, my uncle passed away. What's going, what's going on? Oh, he's in hell right now, honey, and he just hates you so very much. I just want <laughs> you to know that. It was exactly. always good, good news. And we, we kept coming up with all these Funny, yeah. funny things that you could say would just be be bad news over and over. But it's, it, I mean, all these people in this audience just go home and think, yeah, that's that's exactly what my loved ones want to tell me, and I'm the kind of thing. And how could you know she's telling you the truth? How could you find that out? Right, that's unverifiable. You're mm-hmm. right. But, but the interesting thing is that obviously the demonic don't want people to believe in hell or they'll try to avoid it and look to Jesus so in very devious insidious ways um, you know there's two kind of psychics um, there are those so I'm, I'm convinced that um, she was uh, a charlatan and she knew that she didn't have have the gift uh, <clears throat> there are others who who are sincere they think they have the gift, but they don't. And when I say the gift, there are those increasing number of men and women who are demonically influenced, um, like the the girl who, um, the fortune teller that um, Paul had an interaction with. These um, that they have what they think are their spirit guides giving them wisdom and insight into um, the deceased's uh, their you know how their welfare and so forth <laughs> and what would the demonic really do is that they will then mimic the presence of the deceased to this psychic or medium and 
<clears throat> if demons know how to do anything, is to, is to deceive. And so, yeah, there 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 are some some psychics and mediums who who do have a connection. Um, they don't think as a demonic but by any means, but there is something paranormal, uh, real going on, and they have knowledge that they they couldn't have had. It's inhuman knowledge. Uh, that they couldn't have had about this person's uh, family, and when that happens, and I know some people who, sadly, um, well, my my good friend um, Laura Maxwell mm-hmm. um, and her mom were deeply into spiritualism and and all the psychic and medium type stuff, and they. Um, they went through that whole experience of, of, of well, with Laura, she actually saw her, I think it was either her niece or, or, or deceased sister for several years appeared every night, she thought it was. And, but when she started looking to and questioning spiritualism because it wasn't giving what it promised, this supposed relative revealed its true identity and started attacking her and her mom, and they went through living hell for several weeks. They were held hostage in their in their home. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about when, in particular, you have an appendix about this person in your book, Mary Ann Winkowski. And honestly, I don't think I'd ever heard of a name. Maybe I had, but I don't. It didn't ring any bearers. Until I read books, so who is Marianne Winkowski? Well, she um, she is a ghost hunter. She she was a, an advisor to the show that you mentioned earlier, Ghost Whisperer. Um, some say that at least in part that show was based least loosely around her life from an early age. She says that she was influenced by her grandmother who had some special ability to heal people who were under a curse of some kind. She lives in some kind of ethnic uh, neighborhood in which that that belief was pretty pretty rife. And so she was one of the early pioneers of of paranormal investigations and she actually claims she's on the extreme i believe that i believe that we all are have a sensitivity to <clears throat> the spirit realm the supernatural realm paranormal realm whatever you want to call it um but is there's gradations of it um and the extreme being is that some folks claim to to actually 24/7, at least when they're awake, see the, the spirit realm. As they actually claim to see ghosts all over the place, and that's what Miss Marianne Wachowski claims is that from early age she could see ghosts all the time. Now, of course, what was happening was that she was either lying or the the, the demons were deceiving her. Anyway, that uh, she got a rather large, really large following 
and wrote several books. In fact, one of them that's kind of funny is that she said that yeah, I think I think her most recent book was something like Recipes from the Dead, where she has supposedly had visits from these famous chefs from the past who gave her their their uh, secret um, recipes. So anyway, she makes the claim that she can create the light. She herself can create the light uh, when um, for people who have died. She says something like, you know, there's a 72-hour window when people die, uh, and there's the light. And if they miss that 72-hour window, 48-hour, whatever it is, uh, then they're doomed to wander around as restless spirits. But she comes to rescue because she has she's a walking uh, light machine. She can create light and escort people into it. And if you anybody saw the show... Uh, Ghost Whisperer, that's um, the, the lady actress, I forget her name. Uh, Jennifer they, and Hewitt. Right, right. Hewitt. Right, thank you. She didn't, um, I don't believe they showed her creating a light, but they would actually, she would direct people at the end of the show always, you know, into the light and so forth. So, I mean, she's just in a real extreme example of things that she claims. She also claimed, Nick, and, and this would instill fear into people for sure because she said that wherever you go, particularly place of high energy, you know, workplaces and so forth, that that supposedly attracts the millions of earthbound spirits that are around. Okay, she claims that the earth is crawling with, with uh, earthbound spirits or ghosts and that <clears throat> she claims that, that um, virtually everybody at some point in their life is going to have a ghost attachment just by virtue of the fact of being out in the world and of course she, you know, this is where she comes to our rescue mm-hmm. we're going to need Marianne Wachowski and her how much she charges, whether it's $500, I don't know what she charges these days, but it's, it's a lot. And um, she instills the fear of, um, it's not the fear of God, it's the fear of something into people, you know, that they're really um, exposing themselves to ghostly attachments or whatnot. So that's Marianne Winkowski. Now, I did just look it up here. The book is your time. I was called Beyond Delicious Ghost Whisperers Cookbook. More than 100 <laughs> recipes from the dearly departed. I, I just feel like, yeah, I, I think I'll pass. You know. <laughs> now, a, a lot of people could be surprised when she says she claims to be a Catholic, right? Oh yeah, yeah, she does. Right. Yeah. Good point. And how do you think that that really meshes? Because I I can suspect a lot of people in the Catholic Church probably wouldn't be too happy to hear that. Oh, that's true. Now, she she claims to believe in reincarnation as well, mm-hmm. which is a, a bit difficult to mix with uh, traditional Roman Catholic teaching. Mm-hmm. As I was taught as a boy, I was raised in a pious Roman Catholic household. And I can assure your your listeners, Roman Catholicism uh, is not consistent with uh, for all its problems. It's not consistent with um, reincarnation. So she 
basically just says that she's a free thinker, amalgamation of, of beliefs um, based on her feelings, as we talked about before. What she um, she basically admits that she made things up along the way as far as how to deal with her quote gift and what she believes and so forth. So um, again, it's just an, an idea of yeah, I mean epistemologically, there's only two choices as to how we understand the world. We either bow before our maker and look to his revelation to tell us what the world is and what God is like and how to please him. Or it's either revelation or speculation. Those are the only two alternatives. Now, speculation could take many forms, but that's that's those are the two basic um, alternatives, epistemologically speaking. Yeah. Now, if you were hearing about someone who was kind of concerned about things they had going on in their house, they thought might be something they couldn't explain, or something they thought could be a ghost or spirit or demon or anything like that, I mean, what what's the steps you would recommend someone take who says, you know, I'm here, I'm hearing this show okay. and there are some things that I think could be going on in my house. I'm not sure what to do. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question. Thank you. Thank you so much. There, there are so, so many people who are experiencing paranormal activity in their house, which means it's demonic activity, and they don't know what to do. Um, and it can be seemingly relatively benign for a long period of time where it just might just be tappings on the wall or a, a real common thing would be, uh, you know, car keys being mis being moved, the person knowing that they put it on, on the key, the, the chain and so forth, on the ring and it being moved. Uh, th those kind of, quote, mischievous things uh, are, are very common and folks just kind of learn to live in it. I mean, they, they buy a house and, and they can't move and so forth. It comes a financial thing. The one thing I would plead with my, your audience is to not, please do not get accustomed to any amount of paranormal activity. I beg of you, if you had to not get used to it and think of it as just being benign, if you have any um, if, if there's any evidence that there's true paranormal activity going on, whether it smells or sounds, you name it, um, I would say go to your pastor, and I will say that. Mm -hmm. I just know, and this makes me cry, is that so many people have gone to their pastor and they have been just dismissed and mm -hmm. thought of as being attention-seeking seeking or crazy. Yeah. And I know from personal experience, I can't get elders or pastors to read my book even if I give it to them, mm -hmm. even in my own denomination. And 
So the point is, is please, please don't call paranormal investigators. Please, they'll only make it worse. But try to find, be persistent. If you have paranormal activity in your home, be persistent and, and, and find, find until you find a church that knows what to do when it comes to cleansing a house. There's two parts to, to cleansing a house that is infested. First of all, you cleanse it. You get rid of it. You, in, the, in the authority and name of Jesus, you tell the demon to leave by reading scripture and so forth, go, go throughout the house, and then comes the blessing, asking God to consecrate every square inch of the house. We want, I wasn't taught this in seminary, Nick. Nobody is. Um, mm-hmm. So I had I had learned. And so I learned, you know, go from the attic to the crawl space and every room, um, telling the demonic to leave and ordering them as Jesus did. You know, not all these smells, bells, and whistles and whatnot. Just the word. Uh, it's Jesus. It's not us. Nothing makes makes me feel more like a little child and clinging to God than when I go into a home that I know is demonically infested and I'm going head 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 to head with a pure evil with a uh, you know a uh, group of uh, filthy spirits. So I guess just, again, just be persistent in finding a uh, pastor. Uh, in a church that uh, knows how to deal with these kinds of issues, you know. So there are some quacks uh, when it comes to little. Unfortunately, there's a lot of quacks. Yeah. And nobody's perfect. I certainly am not. But just find somebody who who knows the authority of Jesus and how to get rid of that demonic presence because believe me if there is true paranormal activity that means there's an accelerated demonic presence and it may not scratch you may not hurt you but um, long-term exposure to accelerated demonic presence is like being exposed to radioactivity Mm -hmm. Um, it will affect you Um, slowly over time you'll probably find your your passion for God cooling <clears throat> and your relationships being affected, your health being affected, and so forth. Mm-hmm. These be dealt with. Now, having said, we do have to say there are some experiences that aren't like that. Because I mean, I do believe there are people who really do have true miracles of healing, for instance. And then Absolutely. I think sometimes people do get visited by true angels of God, good angels of God, but those are markedly right. different experiences, aren't they? Yeah, they're true. And the thing is, when you think about like Hebrews thirteen one, where it says, you know, paraphrase, uh, don't, um, uh, you know, be careful to be hospitable because some and some people, you know, have entertained angels unawares, and then Hebrews. Um, Earlier, you know, it gives us a definition of what an angel's job description is, and that is that they that they are ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation. So, you can see that they are God-centered. Uh, angels are, and 
you know, when it says that your angels aren't aware, you get the picture that they're non-sensationalistic. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to be, quote, paranormal. They're, they're not going to be given to exp- um, a, a, appearing in a way that brings attention to themselves because they are our servants. Mm-hmm. People have the idea that angels angels are glorious beings, but yeah. we are higher. We're going to judge them, and they are our servants now, and they certainly, angels certainly don't, you know, do mischievous things or hang around in a house making sounds or or that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Nick. There there is true angelic activity in which they will intervene. But from my experience and just from the little bit scripture indicates is that um you know, when it says these people, they had angels in their presence, but they just thought they were people. So they are very keen on deflecting all glory to to the triune God and to helping us. And uh, it's, that's why I say that virtually all paranormal activity is demonic, uh, with the caveat that, yes, angels do um, help us a lot more than we know. But it doesn't come in the form of what we normally think of when we say paranormal activity, though. I mean, it can be really just sensational as far as, like, you know, a car wreck and, um, but, you know what I'm saying there. I'm guessing the main point we should get to as we get close to our concluding point is just that uh, Christians need to really learn their world viewing. If you have any sort of interest upon in anything, whether it be a TV show, a game, a movie, anything like that, a sports team, you go out and you try and learn as much as you can about it. It's very saddening that people are, that take what they say is the centerpiece of their life, their belief in Christ, and don't want to learn anything about it. Yeah, well said. I mean, we have the term fanatic about football, get go crazy but when it comes to our relationship with our lord mm-hmm. um people get upset if we're too passionate about that i remember it was none other than j.i packer who said um when 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 he read talked about us leading a balanced life he said what a horribly self-conscious word <laughs> I mean, I I believe in balance, you know, uh, yeah. for sure. But um, you know, when it comes to loving God, uh, you know, please, like, it's like loving your wife is, is a total abandonment, you know. Oh yeah, should be anyway. Yeah, I was studying philosophy when I was dating Allie, and I've moved over to New Testament. I told her parents that I plan to get two PhDs in my life. It really seems awfully. Uh, Obviously, go get them. And what is this? Okay, one's going to be in philosophy, one's going to be in alley. <laughs> That's great. That's great, Nick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I wish it was original with me, but it wasn't bad. I just remember one thing: study your wife like you were trying to get a PhD. Ah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, we've reached a point where we really need to be 
drawing things to a close here. If someone's curious about, first off, the book here, Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes, I'm looking on Amazon right now. Paperback as of this moment is 19.95, or you can get it on Kindle for 9.99. Yet another reason I like Kindle books, you can actually save money. Yeah. And so if you want to get that, it's there. It's available. Now, if, hopefully uh, there's some, hopefully there's some used ones. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Oh yeah, there are some used ones right now. I see you can buy used from 5.48 onwards. So I don't know how far it goes, but yeah, you can buy used books. Now, if uh, someone's curious, they want to find out more about you and what you do, do you have a blog or website where people can get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. Um, the um, my main focus, I guess, is is um, um, well, I have a, a presence, and this is where I met Nick, is on Facebook, and um, I have two pages. One of them is Mark Hunnaman. And that's H U N N E M A N N is German. Yep. But then the other page is seeing uh seeing ghosts through God's eyes. And that's the name of my book, but it's also the name of my website, which admittedly needs some work. And it's a work in progress. Uh, I know. It really needs help. But if you go um, to my Facebook page, Seeing Goes Through God's Eyes, um, and you click on uh, on that, at the top of the page, the, there is a, a link that will connect you to about 200 articles or blogs that I have written on a biblical view of various aspects of uh, the paranormal. For example, one thing that I think I've done some groundbreaking work or thinking in is just the whole idea of what's called a residual haunt, which is extremely popular in the paranormal community. But um, the last one, the last one I, I wrote was uh, "Smells from Hell," <laughs> paranormal smells in the Lordship of Christ. Um, but if I also have what I um, also have a blog, which if you go to my website, which is Seeing Goes to God's Eyes, you can sign up for my um, my blog, uh, which comes out uh, normally once a week or so. And um, it usually also comes out through another um, called Eye on the Paranormal. But yeah, you can sign if you if you want to contact me on Facebook and and, and want to get my blog, uh, I, I will. Uh, you can do it that way as well. Are there any final words you'd like to leave with the Deeper Waters audience? Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you, Nick, for this just real pleasure and honor. I'm humbled and happy to have had this experience. And I would say to the audience that let's just place loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength as our as our passion and to develop our worldviews to to that end and to think critically and these issues will will take care of themselves. I would say this uh, in closing um, please do take this issue seriously. There are many other 
important issues as well. But just if you would, please do give some thought. Uh, I believe it's incumbent upon all Christians to be able to explain why ghosts are not real and to be able to explain that in a common sense way and biblically to um, to the next door neighbor. So and, thank And be sure to have a happy Halloween tonight. <laughs> yeah, happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Mark, it's been our fun. I hope we'll have you back here again sometime. Oh, that'd be a great honor. Thank you so much, Nick. And Alexa, hey. And I'd like to remind everyone that next week we're going to have David Cates come on the show. Talk about his book, Slow to Judge. For now, I am Nick Peters, and I'm... Out.